Romans chapter 3 tells us what that's all about. 23rd verse declares very clearly that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But in the guts of the gospel, verses 24 and 25, there are five words that I want to call your attention to. They're going to serve as the outline for our message this morning. In verse 24, there are two words. The word justified and the word redemption. We are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Then there are three words. Well, we'll talk about it more in a moment, but focus in on them. God presented him as a sacrifice. That's the word I want you to focus in on. As a sacrifice of atonement through faith. There's the second word. Faith in his blood. Blood is the fifth word that I want to look at this morning. You know, periodically in America, we will see in our courts somebody that is set free, that is obviously guilty, and there are cries that will go up across the nation saying we need to change the laws, there's something wrong with our justice system. Well, praise God that we live in a country where laws can be changed like that. But you need to recognize that in God's law, there are no flaws. There are no excuses for our sin. No excuses for our misbehavior. Romans 3.23 says that clearly all have sinned. That means you and me. We are all guilty. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, a verse that goes right along with it, says that the wages of sin is death. God cannot excuse sinful man or he violates his, just, his, his justice. He must demand punishment. But on the other hand, if God condemns a sinner to everlasting hell, then his love is frustrated. So there is that situation. Either his law is going to be violated or his love is going to be frustrated. How then can God be just and treat you and me as though we had never sinned. One of the things that I've discovered periodically as I'm trying to share the plan of salvation with somebody is that they say it's too easy. And I have to say to them, yes, from a human standpoint, it does appear to be too easy. But there's more to it than that. And that's what people must realize. The fact that God will forgive all sin is perhaps one of the hardest things for an individual to grasp. They think they've got to do some penance or something like that. They've got to do something to, to earn that salvation. What it amounts to is they're trying to help God. The way I've tried explaining it many times uh, to kids and adults alike is that if, let's, let's just pretend... I should have brought a pen up here with me. Oh, I do have a pen. Let's pretend I want to give this pen to you. I hold it out to you and I say, what do you have to do in order for it to be your pen? And people will sometimes say, well, I need to say thank you. I say, well, that would be nice, but it's not necessary. I'm giving it to you. Well, I have to take it. Yeah, that's it exactly. You have to take it. But what if as you reach out to take it, I say, nope. Before you can have it, you're going to have to wash and detail my car. 
get it spotless. Then it stops being a gift, doesn't it? Then it becomes something that you earned. You cannot earn God's salvation. He offers it to you freely. It's not when we get baptized that we gain his salvation. We need to have experienced his salvation, his forgiveness of sin prior to that. And then we have a testimony to share through baptism. I think it's important for each person to share that testimony in baptism. But that is not necessary for salvation. It is necessary to be obedient to what he has desired for us and to identify with him completely. But it's not necessary for salvation. Trusting in Jesus, believing in him, his finished work there on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, that is what will make the difference. Now there are three things that God cannot or will not do. He will not forgive sin without the penalty being paid. Plain and simple. The wages of sin is death, and that that must be paid. It has to be taken care of. Jesus paid the penalty that was demanded by God's holiness and God's justice. God the Father would have allowed Jesus to escape going to the cross if there was any other way. But that was the way that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit had decided the eternity past was going to be the way of salvation. They made that decision themselves. It's not something that's forced upon them. Secondly, God will not force his gift upon anybody. He doesn't force you to take that gift of salvation. We are not robots. We are not forced to accept or reject his offer of salvation. The third element is closely resembles that. He will not force anybody to love him or accept his love. You've got to make that decision. You see, to force it perverts it. To claim love for somebody when you are forced to love them makes it fake. It's fake. It's not genuine. And so he will not do that. For this reason, mankind has a free will and can make that decision to choose or reject following the Lord. We make that decision. If men choose the Lord, they do so because they genuinely want to enter into that relationship with him. They recognize his love toward them and they want to respond in loving him. Do we love him back perfectly? No, we don't. Does he love us perfectly? Yes, he does. Are we faithful to him all the time? No, we aren't. But he is faithful to us all the time. We must make that choice whether or not we're going to follow him or not. So there's five words that we're going to focus in on. And they tell us how he does all of this. Let me remind you of verses 24 and 25. We are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. The first word that I called your attention to was the word justified. We are justified freely by God's grace. Now what does that mean? Justification is the act whereby God declares the believer's the believing sinner as righteous, righteous in Christ Jesus, based on the finished work of Christ on the cross. Justification is an act, not a process. There are no degrees of justification. 
Any individual who has trusted and put their faith in Jesus Christ has the same right standing before the Lord. There is no difference. There is no inequality there. Justification is something that God does, not man. Man cannot justify himself. Justification does not mean that God makes us righteous. That's not what it means. It means that he declares us to be righteous, even though we're still sinners. It is a legal matter. It is a legal term. The righteousness of Christ is put on our record before God in place of our sin. We are considered not guilty before God, just as if we had never done anything wrong. The word justified in verse 24 is in the present or continuous tense. It means that we are continuously, constantly justified before him. That's one other aspect in scripture that points and proves that we do not lose our salvation because we are constantly justified in God's eyes because of the work of Jesus, not because of our work or our faithfulness. Do not get justification and sanctification confused. They're not the same. Sanctification is the process that, where God makes us more like Christ. It is a process that begins at the moment of our salvation, and it, it doesn't end until we go to be with him. We grow spiritually in the Lord through sanctification. And there, there should be changes, frankly, from day to day. We should be growing in our relationship with the Lord from day to day and becoming more and more like Jesus. But we're always just before him. We are justified freely, undeservedly. God doesn't charge us for salvation. It is a free gift. The second word I call your attention to is the word redemption. Now, in, the, in Scripture, there are three words that are translated redeemed in the New Testament. Redeemed or bought or purchased, translated each of those ways, is the word agarazo. This word literally means to buy in the marketplace. It has reference to purchasing a slave off of the auction block. And that's what Jesus did. That's what he did when he died on the cross. He paid the full price that we might avoid the penalty of sin. Redemption through the blood of Jesus. That's the reason to shout, isn't it? That's the reason to be happy. That's the reason to, to have a smile on our faces. An example of that is Revelation 5.9, where they were singing a new song. that says, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. The second word is one that is very close to that first word. It's usually translated redeem. It's exagrazo. The word means to take off the market. In other words, Jesus paid the price and we're no longer up for sale. Satan has no, no way, no rights to us, to our lives. Jesus bought us. He intends to keep us. And the fact that we are his, his forever, is a good reason to be, to sing praises to him, to glorify him. Once you've trusted Jesus, you're taking off the slave market of sin. Satan no longer has any claim to bid on your soul because it belongs to Jesus. It is his. He paid the price. Now, unfortunately, Satan can 
try to destroy your body and destroy your witness by tempting you to sin and to dishonor God. We are all susceptible to that. There are things that we do at his prompting that destroy our witness. Now Galatians 4, 4 and 5 is one where that word is used. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, there it is, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Now the third word, which is the word used here, is translated redeem, redeemed. It is the Greek word lutron, where it means to release after the payment of a purchase price. To the Greeks in that day and time, it was a technical term of paying money back to buy back a prisoner of war. It pictures one who was a slave, and then that, they purchase that slave, and then they turn that slave loose. They let him go immediately. He is free after that, and that's what Jesus did for us. He bought us off the block of sin, and after he redeemed us, he removed us from the sale, and then he set us free. Free to go and to live our lives. Free to go and sin again, because he knows our human nature. But more importantly, free to go and to serve. To serve him through serving others. That's what we're called to do. Each and every one of us is to be a servant of others in this world today. We are to be looking for opportunities to serve others, to be of service to them. Being redeemed from sin to service is a great thing. And it ought to cause us to praise the Lord. This is the word used here, but it's also used in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from an empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Third word I want to call your attention to is the word sacrifice. Depending on the translation that you're looking at, the King James, the uh, New American Standard Version, I believe, and also the English Standard Version, it is translated propitiation. That's a big old word. Most, well, in this particular passage in the NIV, it is described as a sacrifice of atonement. And in most other translations or paraphrases, it's just simply called the sacrifice. The word literally means to cover like an umbrella covers us and protects us from the rain. Jesus shed blood, covers us, and protects us from the wrath of God, the judgment of God upon sin. Jesus did that for us. You see, the one who has been offended, God, must be appeased. His wrath must be averted. The word 
has reference to the mercy seat. And that's why in the NIV they translated it the sacrifice of atonement because it described the, the, the act of faith that was demonstrated by the priest on behalf of the people once a year. He would take a sacrifice into the altar and he was offering it to cover the sins of the people. It was a sacrifice of atonement. An unblemished lamb offered freely. A demonstration of faith that God would indeed forgive their sins. And Jesus is the final sacrifice. You know, there's a lot of people that think they can appease God by going to church or singing on the praise team or confessing their sins to the preacher doing a thousand other things. They think of so many things as ways that they can, that they can uh, earn their salvation, but the reality is they can't. There is no way of appeasing God's wrath and judgment. There's only one thing that can do it, and Jesus has done it. He is our sacrifice of atonement. He is our propitiation. He is the sacrifice that has been offered up to God and accepted by God, when God pours his wrath out upon us, it's not going to hit us if we have trusted in Jesus. Because Jesus is our covering. He is our umbrella. The reason that he came into the world was plain and simple, that he might appease the wrath of God. That he might meet the requirements a sin being punished so that God could act justly toward us. The next word I want to call your attention to is the word blood. His blood, specifically. I said salvation is not that easy. And yet there are a lot of people that think it is too easy. And so they pull away from it. Well, from a human standpoint, it may seem easy, but from God's perspective, the Godward side of it all, it cost Jesus everything. He loved us so much that he died for us. He went to that cross on our behalf. He shed his blood. As Ron Dunn says, God has never had any other way of dealing with sinful man than by the blood. Hebrews 9.22 says, In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no redemption from sin. Think back to the Garden of Eden. And you remember that man tried covering themselves with fig leaves when they became aware of their nakedness. God then supplied animals, the skin of animals, to serve as a covering. You had the shedding of blood even back then in the Garden of Eden to act as a covering. The first act of worship in the Bible that is recorded was that of Abel bringing his sacrifice to God. When Noah set foot on dry land after the flood, first thing he did was to offer a sacrifice to God. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The covenant that God made with Abraham had to be sealed with blood. He was, he was ready to offer Isaac, his son, but God provided a ram in his place. All the way through the Old Testament, you see sacrifices that are being made 
before anyone approached or made an approach toward God. You say, well, preacher, that's Old Testament. That's a bloody gospel. We are New Testament believers. Well, let's look at the New Testament. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said in John 1, 29, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Four times in John chapter 6, he basically says, I tell you the truth, unless you eat of the Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. In Matthew 26, 28, the Last Supper, Jesus took up the cup and he said, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. In Romans 3:25, our text today, we read that we must have faith in his blood if we are going to be saved. In Hebrews 9, 12, it says, He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all. Once for all, did you catch that? By his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. In in Colossians, it says a very similar thing. In Ephesians 2.13, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. In 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, it says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. In 1 John 1, 7, It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. In Revelation 1.5, we read to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. In Revelation 5, we hear praise coming from the four living creatures and the 24 elders. And in verse 9, it says they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And in Hebrews 9.22, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. The reality is you and I stand guilty before God this morning. There is no defense for our sin. We are guilty, plain and simple. And as a result, we are deserving of the condemnation of our righteous God, our angry God, because of our sin. I know the wages of sin is death, and I deserve death. But when Jesus came, He was willing to take the punishment that I deserve. He was willing to take the punishment that you deserve. He lived a sinless life. And then he gave that life for us. He shed his blood. When he died on that cross, he was taking our punishment, our whipping, our guilt. He was taking our sin upon himself. And we don't need to worry about those sins because he has taken care of them. Now, sometimes the devil tempts me to worry about him. 
He tempts me to think about things that I've done in the past. He tempts me to think about things I've done. He talks to me about how unworthy I am, that I'm not really one of his followers. But I have to remind him that I've already asked for forgiveness. And God has forgiven me. The Holy Spirit does not nag us about our sins that we have done in the past. But Satan will try to get us under his thumb and put us on a guilt trip over them. Jesus died for those sins. The only one that talks to us that way is the devil himself. He will try to bring up those past sins. He'll point them out when we sin and Let's face it, we sin every day. When we do, he'll be quick to point them out and condemn us for them. The Holy Spirit will point them out to us and he'll say, confess them, agree with me that they are wrong. And when we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He's ready to forgive. I've sinned more since I was saved than I ever did before I became a Christian. Now I can say that quite easily because I was nine years old when I became a Christian. But I, I have met many an individual who became believers as adults. And most every one of them would make the same comment. I've sinned more since becoming a Christian than I did before. I was bad before, but I'm still bad. I'm still messing things up. I'm still making mistakes. I'm still sinning against God. And I'll say to him, that the very fact that you are concerned about that tells me that the Holy Spirit is working in your life. And he wants to help you to overcome that sin. He wants to help you to have a victorious life. Are you ready to let him have full control of your life? To be filled with the Spirit means that you are controlled and empowered by his Spirit. It is an act of faith. And it is an act of faith that we need to repeat continually through our lives. We need to confess our sin to him and we need to acknowledge that as we acknowledge that we have done wrong against him, we need to ask God for his help. We want to put ourselves under his control voluntarily, allowing him to control and empower us so that we can overcome those strongholds that are in our lives. I, I, I can't explain away my sin. There's nothing I can say, no way that I can justify it. It's all true. The accusations of Satan are true. But... <clears throat> There is one who stands up on my behalf. He is my advocate. That is Jesus. He shed his blood for me. The last word I want to call your attention to is the word faith, because it's all by faith. All of it is made effective through the act of our believing and trusting in him, putting our faith in him. Now, some of us have faith in our efforts to please God. That's not what you need to have faith in. You need to have faith in his blood. That's what the scripture says. You need to have faith that he gave his life on your behalf. 
and you're trusting in the work that he did there on the cross. You must come to the place where you realize that you deserve to be lost forever, that you deserve to go to hell, but you hear the gospel story and you respond to it by faith. You realize that he shed his blood for you. He died for you. He loved you so much. He gave his life for you. He hung there upon the cross because he loves you. I'm going to close out the message this morning by sharing the first verses of three of those great old hymns that are in our hymnal. I think they kind of drive home the point, the difference between Christianity and any other religion is that other religions are full of do's. Do this, do that, or don't do this, and don't do that, and you'll get to heaven. Christianity is a religion of done. It has been done on your behalf by Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, and you're trusting in him. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Alas, and did my Savior bleed? And did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for sinners such as I? At the cross. At the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Power in the blood. Would you over, would you over evil a victory win? There is wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, Wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Let's pray. Father, we are so very thankful that you devised this plan where we could experience forgiveness, Redemption, justification. You sent Jesus. He came willingly, voluntarily, to offer up his life as an atonement for our sin. He shed his blood to act as a covering over our sin. We know that we have sinned we know as your spirit convicts us but we also know that as we confess that sin that it is forgiven we stand before you justified even though we still sin you loved us enough to send your son even though we were still sinners we thank you we can't thank you enough Lord, help us to learn how to serve others. Help us 
to reach out to others and to share that love of Jesus with them. And in so doing, in some way, we are expressing our love to you and our appreciation to you for the salvation that you gave to us, freely gave to us. Father, I know that if our church is to be the church that you want it to be, that we've got to be a group of people who boldly proclaim your word, that share your love with others. We demonstrate it through serving and showing respect to others, but we recognize that we must verbalize it also. We must point the way to Jesus. So help us to grow in that relationships, in that relationship with you, and to form relationships with others where we can share and demonstrate that love to them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.